Welcome to How Train Talks, a podcast series for people on the move. Welcome to the Gau Train Talks podcast station, the place to be for all matters related to the Gau Train and how it came to be South Africa's first ever rapid rail link. Now, there's obviously a great story behind the origins of the Gau Train, and there's no doubt it has changed the way people view and use public transport in Gauteng to the extent that many commuters rely heavily on the system for their transport needs. With that in mind, many residents of Gauteng are excited about the possible next phase of the Gau Train, in particular, where we might see further stations and connections in the future. To explore this subject, I'm joined today by Victor Shange, the Acting Senior Executive Manager for Enterprise Portfolio Management at the Gau Train Management Agency. He is here to tell us more about the feasibility study for the possible extension of the Gauteng Rapid Rail Network. Victor, welcome. Let's start with some brief background about yourself and uh, your role at the GMA as it relates to the extension project. Um, thank you, Dylan. I am a civil engineer by qualification and training. I joined the GMA in 2015 as a civil engineer responsible for the Perway civil structures of the system, uh, providing assurance um, of the maintenance thereof, as well as several projects that you know, we do um, on an annual basis to improve the system and the customer experience. In 2017, I then uh, transitioned into the, fully into the project management space, um, where I was then uh, requested to start up uh, the Portfolio Management Office of the GMA, which is responsible for uh, developing and implementing processes, procedures, templates, guidelines, etc., um, on ensuring a standardized way of executing projects in the GMA, um, as well as a, a, an integrated planning for projects so that resources are managed accordingly to ensure that the right projects are executed uh, for the benefit of the system and the benefit of the customer. And then obviously the feasibility uh, project and study landed on your desk and it's obviously, I would imagine, a, a big project and, and a big part of your job now. Indeed. Um, it's, it's, it's a full-time job on its own, uh, over and above you know, leading the portfolio management office and, and other, um, let's say, uh, mandates that, that we receive as a GMA to execute um, for the GMA and also to support the Department of Transport as a whole. Now, why is this project so important and, and what are the main objectives um, as it relates to the, to the extension project? This project is important, uh, is a multifaceted project um, because it responds to several challenges that the province is currently experiencing and will be experiencing in the future. For starters, from a transportation mobility perspective, um, there's, there's a study that is called the Integrated Transport Management Plan. Um, that was adopted by the Gauteng uh, government in 2013. There was some traffic modeling that was done in terms of predicting what does future mobility look like in terms of the province's strategic key network. What that study then predicted is that by 2025, the average speed in the peak hour will be about, will be about 40 kilometers an hour. Wow. And that's if everyone travels in the peak hour. If there is no peak spreading, it becomes 23 kilometers an hour. So that is the one challenge with mobility. And if you fast forward to 2037, and 2037 is because it's 25 years from, 20, from 2012 when that study was initiated, it predicts that with the, you know, the economic growth that's predicted, population growth, um, vehicle ownership, and with all the roads that are planned for the province, even if they are built over and above the network that we have, that average travel speed drops to 10 kilometers an hour if there's no peak spreading. So that's the one challenge with mobility. And with any country, province in the world, 
for an for an economy to grow or an active economy, you, mobility is key because people have to be able to 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 connect from where they stay to where they work, where they stay to opportunities of of, of economic uh, participation, jobs, education, socially, etc. We also need the ability to move goods, um, and so if we don't extend the railway network. We have we stand at the risk of having an economy that literally comes to a standstill. So that's from a transport and mobility perspective. The other reason why this project is important is that it's actually an economic project, similar to the how trains we know it. Yes, we see the trains. Uh, we're able to connect Pretoria, well, Tswan city of Tswane to city of Johannesburg, city of Kuruleni, um, because you need rapid connectivity, reliable connectivity to, again, for economic activity. I mean, Gauteng is very unique because it's, it's the only province with three metros. So you've got City of Tswane, which is the capital of the country. You've got City of Johannesburg, which is the economic hub of the country, let alone the province. And then you've got the City of Agurulet, which is the industrial hub. And, and therefore, for this economy to function, you need that connectivity. So what the extensions then allow the province to achieve is, one, is... is, is forming part of an integrated transport uh, system for the province, which has to be, the core thereof has to be a railway system. Of course, we've got two railway systems. There's the rapid rail, there's the metro. Um, I can't speak to the plans of the metro rail system, but they also have their own plans of extensions, etc. But ultimately, the province needs an expanded rapid rail, um, which then integrates where appropriate to the other systems, road-based. Um, so, so, for instance, with the current how train system, the backbone is the, is the train. We've got feeder systems which are road-based. Um, so if, if, if you choose or don't have a private vehicle to access the station, um, we've got uh, coverage you know, within, a certain, radii, within say, certain radii of our stations uh, where we've got a bus fleet and a mini-bus fleet, etc. Um, so that's what you talk about in an integrated transport system. So over and beyond the mobility challenge that we have, there's the challenge of growing the economy. Um, for, the, for the government, um, and let me speak for the provincial government, is there's a realization that we have to contribute, or each of us have to contribute to the strategic intent of the government, which can be summarized as, you know, uh, enabling uh, job opportunities, reducing poverty and inequality. So a project of this nature then also provides that opportunity where, for instance, with Houtin 1, we have learned and we've got two independent studies that actually show us what the impact of having the Houtin has done. Um, for example, within a two-kilometer radius of a station, um, it was one, the studies then... Um, indicated there was about a 3% increase in property values. Um, and as a result, if you see a lot of our stations, there was a, a property boom um, in the vicinity of our station. Around those nodes, yeah. Around those nodes. And yeah. it's because of the existence of, of the station. Um, with the extensions, we now actually want to intentionally um, be managing those developments because what's happened is those developments, there's no revenue that's been realized by the country. Yeah. Um, and and so what we want to do with the extensions is to have more to be less passive and more and more active in and around that issue. And as a result, we've actually restructured the GMA where there's a unit that's actually looking at commercialization, um, because what that will enable 
us to do is we then have an, an additional revenue stream into the system. And then what that does is it reduces our dependence um, on the fiscus. Okay. And, and obviously at, at a difficult time, when, you know, co- with, with the impact of COVID, uh, ridership down, I know the GMA has had to look for alternative revenue streams. I just want to um, come back to, to, to some of the background and the requirements for the, for the Triple P feasibility study, because there's no doubt that this is, this is an enormous project and a big study. Indeed. So in terms of the, the Triple P, or maybe let me start off, you know, why, why Project of Nature is a Triple P. By the way, the kind of counting is a triple P, which is a public-private partnership. Yeah. Um, so the whole point of a triple P is to say, as the state, there's a project of this magnitude in terms of scale, physical scale, cost, maintenance, operations, etc. We then have to assess which is the best place party to, man- to do certain aspects of it. So we're doing the planning, but as a state... Do uh, you know? Do we have the best resources, the best technology, the best know-how? Um, and that's what then w- where the decision comes. You know, should it be a normal public, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure project or a triple P? Now, the the process is actually uh, legislated in the Public Finance Management Act, specifically Re- Regulation 16. And what that does is so there are actually six gates that a phys- that a feasibility study must go through before it's even considered for, for implementation. And the, the extensions then are no different, you know. Um, so firstly, there was a, a needs analysis. So what problem are you trying to solve? So I've articulated the, you know, what the challenges are. Yeah. So there's the mobility, there's the economic uh, growth, et cetera, or stimulating the economy, contributing to economic growth, employment, et cetera. By the way, when phase one is predicted to create about 27,000 jobs on its own, um, of course, there's a split between permanent and 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 and, constr- and during the construction phase. Um, so so you know just one you know we there are many aspects to this, but um, you know maybe it can be a discussion for another day in terms of getting to the detail. Yeah. Um, the next step then is the options analysis. So the first step we've identified a problem. We now then say what options are available to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and one such consideration is whether it's a triple P or a, a normal public procurement, as well as other other options to say, you know, is it a rapid rail? What's the solution? Is it a, is it a bus? Is it a, you know, an airplane? Whatever the case, you know. But so that that's what the options analysis looks at. Um, once you've done the options analysis, you then do a project due diligence. So you're now testing the options that you've uh, come up with or proposed, because what you want, and this process is very rigorous because. Um, we, we, we are cognizant of the scale of the investment that's required. And therefore, you want to be certain that, you know, the option that we've got a problem, the option that we are proposing is the best possible one. And therefore, you test it through due diligence. And that is testing, for instance, against environmental impact, um, economic impact, um, socioeconomic impact, um, as well as just then on the technical side, does it solve that technical problem as well? Um, once then you, you've taken your so your options through due di- diligence, you now have narrowed down to a particular option, um, which you then test for value. What is the value? So when the state invests in this project, what value will be? What's the return? Yeah. What's the return? Yeah. For the state, for the citizen. Um, thereafter, then there's an economic evaluation. So what is the actual economic impact, or or what economic returns? will we get from such a project? 
Um, and then last but not least, then one if, once you've taken it that far, you now have a solution. You understand high level what's its impact um, in terms of socially, econom uh, economically, environmentally, etc. Um, you've tested it in terms of how much will it cost. You know, you're at a point where the solution will cost X amount. Um, and then you have to develop a procurement plan. How will you actually um, procure uh, and develop uh, the, the, the solution? So that then becomes a completed feasibility study, which is then taken to National Treasury for approval. So in terms of the proposed extensions, uh, there's about an additional 148 kilometers of track that, that, that it comprises. And just for scale, the current is 82 kilometers. Um, and because of that, of that, you know, that sheer scale and size of the project, it has been proposed to be implemented in phases, five phases. Um, phase one connects from the existing Marlborough Station through Santin, Renberg, Cosmos City, and Little Falls. Um, Santin will have then a modified station, Marlborough similarly, but there'll be new stations at Renberg, Cosmos City, and Little Falls. Phase two is proposed then to connect from Little Falls to Soweto with new stations at Rodeport and Jabulani. Phase three will connect from Samrand. So Samrand is an existing uh, is part of the current how train. This, the, the, the superstructure or the station just wasn't built because when the how train was developed, um, the the developments that would have been necessary to create that demand were not there. Um, so as the developments are occurring in and around Samrand, at some point then Samrand will be built, but it won't be part of the extension. It will actually be part of the the current how train. The existing, yeah. The existing. Um, you know, if if, if you if you are on the train and you like it just next to a window, when the train actually goes uh, through uh, Samrin, you can actually see the civils, the, you know, so the foundations are there, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, for the for the platform. Um, so phase three will connect from Samrin um, towards uh, Pretoria with the new station in Irene and Swanee East. Um, phase four then comes back to Cosmos City and it will connect to Sunning Hill with a new station in Sanding Hill and Fourways, as well as extending from the current Rhodesfield station um, to East Red Mall. Um, phase 5 then connects from Cosmos City to Lancera Airport. And then what that will then also allow, you know, as, you know, over and above the mobility we spoke about, is then the ability to connect between the two airports. Um, so, I don't, so I'm from KZN originally, and there are times when, you know, I'd book a flight down and I have to take it from Lanseria, but the return flight is at Otambo, then, you know, the car is in Lanseria, then it becomes a, you know, a whole other, a whole other yeah. discussion. So, I mean, even if you look at it from a tourism perspective, is that someone who flies in, an international um, uh, tourist, flies into Otambo, most likely, and let's say they want to go to other regions, you'll find that there are regions where you can only catch a flight from Lanseria. So instead of them having then to get onto a road, you know, to drive to, to Lancer. When when phase five is built, you'll have that ability to connect between the airports um, with, with the train. Um, phase five then will also just connect from Tone East to, through Hazeldean to Mamelodi, um, as well as then back from, to Sunning Hill to Samrand, and then East Rand Mall to Boxburg. So those are the current uh, extensions as they are proposed today. Welcome back. We're still with Victor Shange, the Acting Senior Executive Manager for Enterprise Portfolio Management at the Gautrain Management Agency. We're looking at the feasibility study for the possible extension of the Gauteng Rapid Rail Network. Victor, um, 
you mentioned where the extension is happening as it relates to the to the Gautrain network. Uh, what was some of the thinking behind the positioning of where these extensions are going? So the budget point is identif- is aligning with the spatial development frameworks of the government. So in this case, will be the provincial government. So the provincial government, um, at a certain frequency, has what is referred to as, spa- as SDF, or spatial development um, frameworks. And that's where they identify the nodes that are identified for development, economic development, economic activity, etc. So those may be existing nodes, which maybe for some other reason um, have not historically achieved or the potential that they have in terms of being very strong economic nodes. Remember, we need economic nodes to create employment, etc. So, and then there's the strategic planning of the government over above an SDF. So, um, for instance, in 2021, in the state of the province address, the premier referred to a document called Growing Gauteng Together 2030. In the document, there is an introduction of what, you know, of so there are seven pillars of, of how the government envisions growing the economy of Gauteng. And when we look at those pillars and what the current Gauteng has achieved, we realize that we are able, we're actually contributing to all seven. But over and above that, the, the provincial government has then identified five special economic zones that over and above what's on the SDFs now, um, these economic zones are, some don't, some don't exist, so they're being, you know, conceptualized and will be built, um, you know, from, from the ground as it were. Um, so these are the Tswana Automotive Zone in the north. So th- there you really have an automotive industry. But what as an SEZ, you then actually bring a, a whole value chain um, to support that industry um, you know, in, in that node. There's the agro-processing SEZs on the west end. There's the uh, Val River City in Sedibeng. Um, and then there's in Tswane, um, there's the freight hub, which is proposed. There. Of course, there's the Aerotropolis and the you know, and, and, and the Ortia district there already. Yeah. Um, and so what we're then actually looking at is, so we've got these extensions I've referred to, but now we actually have to investigate further extensions to these SEZs because these special economic zones cannot be viable without connectivity. You know, you can invest all you want, say, in in Freinaching, Seribeng, um, but if you can't connect to the rest of the province, for instance, if you're a manufacturer, not a manufacturer, but let's say a corporate office, how do people commute? Yeah, it comes back to what you're saying about mobility and connection and 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 facilitating economic growth. Indeed, indeed. Uh, even just traveling to the airport, right? I mean, if, if you've got a, an economic, a strong economic hub f- that's far out in a far-flung area, how does someone fly in for business? They can fly in, but then if if they must still drive two hours, you know, you, you're not gonna get that productivity that you're looking for if you're trying to grow an economy. Victor, what what have you learned so far from the feasibility study? What have been the major learnings, um, along with the challenges along the way? You know, the the the, the feasibility study. Maybe let me start with it. It's been a a challenge and a, and a great learning experience as well. Um, I'd say the biggest one is how to keep the public, the citizens, informed of the process. Because um, what we what we're finding now is we did the feasibility study according to the law, etc., with Treasury. But as we do the other preparatory work, which is which is necessary um, to enable a project of this nature, specifically, there's a you know we ma- I mentioned that the, the feasibility study is governed by the PFMA. There's a process then of securing the future railway reserve, because it's one thing to procure 
a, a you know a concessionaire or an operator to op to build and, and and operate the system, but you need a rail reserve on which then they must design the system for and construct and operate. So that is a parallel work stream, um, and 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 again that is governed by the Housing Transport Infrastructure Act, and and on twenty on twenty five May twenty twenty two, so a couple of months ago, we actually determined the route. When I say we, the MEC. Uh, determine the route, and it was published, you know, in the Gazette and in various newspapers, etc. And as we are getting um, submissions from from stakeholders, we're realizing that, you know, this legislation is not widely known. And so, when the route was determined, a lot of perceptions were created in and around what that means. You know, um, route determination um, is a process where, a, you know, you mentioned earlier about you know, identifying the nodes. Um, etc. So once you've identified the nodes, you need to connect the nodes. Um, so the nodes would be where a station would be, but of course you need then have a railway line you know, to, to connect uh, those nodes to the rest of the, of the system and the rest of the province, as it were. So when we determine the route, um, it's literally the first part of the process, first step. And that step provides a 400-meter-wide strip of land within which the future rail reserve can be designed and constructed. But because of how, I guess, that act and, and the process is not, you know, is not communicated, people then understood it to say, man, the whole 400-meter-wide strip will be taken up by the, by the extension, which is not the case. Um, what, what that 400-meter-wide strip of land, all that, well, let me, let me not um, water it down, but what happens is once the route is determined, it just gives the MEC right to comment on any land use change within that strip. He doesn't uh, reject or approve any applications. That's still, that power still vests with the local authority. Um, so I'd say that is probably the biggest lesson to say, yes, you do the feasibility study. It's got its own challenges in and around. You know, and I mentioned the, the options analysis and the due diligence. I mean, there's, we had to have, I mean, I said it you know, in a simplified way, but there were a lot of iterations. So you find that there's a solution which you think is the best, you take it through to diligence and you realize not, it's not, you go back, you know. So it's not a linear process. It's um, a real process, it's, yeah. it's, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite uh, iterative. Um, but uh, so, so beyond that, so the bigger challenge now is the part of the process of securing the rail reserve because we we actually realizing that we actually have to start communicating it, um, let me say better. We've complied to the law, but the law doesn't cater for all you know, for the, say the communication and understanding part and perception, I and guess. perception, and it's quite a sensitive matter because, I guess, those wanting in an efficient public transport system want a Gau train station close to home and be able to connect themselves between work. You know, everyone has their own vested interest. I would, I would argue. Indeed, indeed. And then um, on the flip side, um, because of the perception, where people understood the, or let me say, the process was understood to be, we will be expropriating or the rail line will run through people. I mean, someone even said, you know, the rail line will run through my lounge, you know. Um, the, you know, so we had followed the law to the letter, um, exceeded it in certain instances um, in trying to, 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 to maximize awareness. So as an example, if I may, the law says you, you publish that route on, in a government gazette. We were cognizant of the fact that very few people know, have ever heard of a government gazette 
there's no way to find it said and access it yes um so as part of trying to um you know increase awareness uh, by the way there's a process uh, which we undertook between uh, 9 July and 15 August 2021 which is legislated in the same GTA where interested and affected parties are invited to comment on the proposed uh, alignment or proposed route again um so we received several um submissions and we responded to each one um and that's where we first realized that there's a, there's a disconnect between what is legislated and what is understood because what was happening is the submissions would be more in opposition of the overall project as an example um and which then doesn't influence would doesn't then impact the part of trying to to undertake this first step of 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 you know determining the route etc um so i'd say for me that is the biggest uh, lesson um you know in and around developing a project of this nature it's it's um complying to law but also communicating to the interested and affected party so that when indeed you are engaging or you are soliciting their inputs they are also responding to that to what you actually trying to achieve um and not the bigger project uh, which is what seemingly happened um, and also there's a fear of you know uh, people perceive that they'll be kicked out of their homes etc etc um and and the same gja is is very clear you know in and around what is the process so in the event where the design of of the rail and therefore its operations and construction requires land there is a process which is legislated where the rights of the pri- of the la- of the property owner are protected mm. um so there's route determination once that is done the next process is prelim- preliminary design so route determination is literally a line a center line with uh, you know with 400 meter wide uh, uh, uh strip of land preliminary design actually provides a design is preliminary yes but you can actually see okay the rail is 150 meters wide here it's 50 meters wide here or whatever the case is um so it would don't necessarily take up the whole 400 meter strip of land um and then what preliminary design enables us to do is you then identify the exact properties which are directly or indirectly affected and 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 before that is concluded or before the mc makes a decision on whether to to accept the preliminary design there's a rigorous public participation process as well where all interested and affected parties with the preliminary design which is made public are able to identify how they are impacted and therefore we can you know they can then contribute to the process knowing that you know because you know i i'm i as a citizen may may con- may comment but maybe the rail is a kilometer from my house so it's different to someone whose property would actually fall within um or adjacent you know yeah. um, um and of course that process also includes a full environmental impact assessment uh, or eia um which includes a, a heritage impact assessment for instance so um we don't take lightly, lightly uh, people's heritage and what they deem to be to be valuable in terms of historical va- uh, historical value um etc Uh, Victor, lastly, uh, where are we in 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 the in the entire project, the feasibility study, the project, the Gauteng Rapid Rail Network extension? Where are we as it stands? Okay, no, thank you. So um, let me start with the uh, let's say that the project stream, the PFMA uh, process. So the feasibility study was concluded uh, in 20, November 2016, um, and after you know being reviewed by you know the GMA board and other stakeholders. um it was then submitted to uh, stakeholders but 
more importantly to treasury and I say more importantly because treasury must do their they must then run the approval process so it was submitted to national treasury in april 2017 um and between then and today they have they are ongoing discussions and conversations with treasury um what happened is when we first submitted the the, the study treasury then responded and and you know in terms of what they they say supplementary information and that is not to say that you know we 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 dropped the ball or didn't do the work in the feasibility study but it was literally um to check to assess what would the impact of lower fares be um so part of doing the feasibility study was it you know you have to pick a fare because when you do the the, the economic assessment etc um you match it with the demand and then therefore you can get a, a quantum of what revenue you may you may yeah. realize you know from 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 the operations um so we then had to do a, a another study to look at what is the impact of low fares and if i may just quickly what what that means is that when you lower fare you increase the demand for a system doesn't matter what system it is um and then but when you do that you need more infrastructure to cater for that additional uh, ridership. Um so simply put a lower fare more people but you need more of everything. So then it actually becomes more expensive to to operate. Um and 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 so but that study is with treasury. So we we can't make the decision on which fare. But what we did over and above that and, and over, or as part of the study was we looked at the stats as a data in terms of, you know, uh in terms of the catchment areas for the stations existing cow train and the proposed extension and then we came up with uh, let's say a hybrid um or a proposed a hybrid fare structure where we identified stations based on the stats essay um data in terms of where 70% or more of the population in the catchment area are in the lower income range lower to 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 not i mean to zero because unfortunately you know we have that we have that challenge um in the country um so those stations were identified as uh, seven of them so this uh hybrid fare structure if approved uh by treasury will then enable uh people that reside within those uh, seven identified stations to have a dis- a discounted fare uh fare structure um as part of our of 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 maximizing you know um access to, um, to the system um so so that's that that's where that the the process is Over above that we we had to then um undertake through GTEC the government technical advisory uh, office which is part of national treasury to investigate alternative funding uh, and and financing options for the for the project we are cognizant that you know in terms of fiscus um you know it has to cater for multiple challenges uh, or initiatives in the country and therefore we want to minimize you know our you know our reliance on it as much as possible. So the study also was completed and was submitted to National Treasury. So where we are today, um we literally waiting for National Treasury to give us what is called Treasury Approval 1. What Treasury Approval 1 will enable us to do is then to start the procurement process for phase 1. Treasury Approval 1 then is followed by what is called Treasury Approval 2. Uh um Treasury Approval 2 then means you've gone through the 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 procurement process you've identified potential bidders um and then treasury you then go back to treasury to you know to say we've gone through this rigorous procurement process we now have identified a potential bidder 
um, and that's the next gate. Um, and thereafter, uh, or bidders rather, because you have, um, uh, you pre-qualify bidders um, for, for, for something this big, you know, you have to, because it, it has to be a rigorous process. So you pre-qualify them. And then when you issue the detailed documents, you, you issue it to the, what, to the people that you've pre-qualified, et cetera. Um, and then there's, you know, eventually there, there are two other gates. Um, um, so, so it's not, and, and that's to make sure that, you know, when government invests in such a project, all the boxes, as, as the saying goes, have been ticked. So that's where the project is, in terms of feasibility study. Um, in terms of the process then to, to define the future railway reserve, um, we've under, between 2018 um, and, May, and, May 20, and May 2022, uh, we undertook the process of determining the route, which was, as I mentioned earlier, then published on the 25th of May. Um, and now we are then looking at uh, then going into, or we're actually planning now to commence with the preliminary design for phase one. And what that will enable us to do then is to have a preliminary design, which then we come back to the interested and affected uh, parties along the route, um, you know, as I mentioned, between Marlborough and Little Falls, um, so that we can then, with their inputs and collaboration, um, come have a permit design that the MEC may accept. Once an MEC, once the MEC for transport, say MEC, sorry, it's MEC for transport. Once the MEC then has accepted such a permit design, and it's been tested in terms of environmental impact assessment, etc., um, he's he's then he or she is then able then to proclaim a rail reserve. Um, at that point. What proclamation means is that we now have a preliminary design uh, with the inputs from interested and affected parties with the least impact in terms of socially, environmentally, most cost-effective from a construction and operations uh, perspective. Um, then the rail reserve is proclaimed. So that's what then becomes the future, the future rail reserve. What proclamation then does is then they, they, we are then able to identify which properties would need to be expropriated. Um, and then the GTIA that I refer to then lays out, you know, what does expropriation looks like? And if I may just quickly, um, so the, there's, there's the evaluation of the property. An offer is made to the owner. The owner has a right to respond with a counteroffer. Um, typically a counteroffer would be the information that our professional evaluator would not know. In other words, uh, the improvements um, that the owner would have made and they made deem, to the property is yes. made to the property and yes. they deem that you know they should be compensated for. The owner then also has a right to to respond with, um, you know, if they can prove that there's a loss financially over and above, um, you know, that prop, you know, as part of the expropriation, um, should there be a financial loss that becomes part of the of the submission, um, and then the act also has a section that deals with over and above. You know, um, compensating for the property, the additionalities or improvements, potential loss from the expropriation. There's also a section that deals as an additional. Um, it's on a sliding scale, uh, a provision to say, um, you know, for the inconvenience. Um, you know, there's also, um, you know, it's it's a it's a there's some, but it's related to the value of the mm. of the expropriation. So, um, the yeah. So as if after proclamation. Properties that are identified for for expropriation, um, then there is a process. By the way, um, when the MEC proclaims, there is communication again with the interested and affected parties. 
And because at this point you now know exactly which earth is affected, legally we actually send a registered letter um, so to the owner to say, your house has been um, proclaimed, this is the impact, and you've got the right to respond, etc. So all these processes, root determination, preliminary design, um, proclamation, expropriation, in each and every one of those steps includes engagement with interested and affected parties. And we look forward then to commencing with preliminary design because we can then have more certainty. Uh, when I say we, the citizens um, that are affected, um, as well as us as the, as, as the agency implementing the project in terms of which properties are affected, and therefore we can have discussions with uh, the interested and affected parties. And we look forward to those engagements because they are very important um, for us to, to achieve what we're trying to achieve with the project. Um, as, as I mentioned, we, we have to minimize as much as possible the environmental and social impact um, as we try to solve the challenges of, of the government and the province. Victor, we're going to leave it there. Thank you for your time and uh, your input. We value your insight and learnings. You've been listening to Victor Shange, the Acting Senior Executive Manager for Enterprise Portfolio Management at the Gauteng Management Agency. He's been talking about the feasibility study for the possible extension of the Gauteng Rapid Rail Network. To listen to this and other interviews about the Gauteng, please tune into our podcasts at Gauteng Talk Station. You can also access further material on our website. It's www.gauteng.co.za or follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm.